All right, so last week, if you uh, missed, we started the most significant um, book in the Bible, I would or, or one of the like two or three most essential, like non-negotiable books in the Bible. There's so much that is built on Genesis from in the rest of Scripture that if you miss it, if it if Genesis were taken out and all the references to it in the rest of the Bible, it would be a very confusing story. Uh, we would not know what's happening. We would not have a concept uh, of a lot of realities that are super important for us. Uh, last week, we looked at... Um, the, uh, the first five days of creation, we looked at Genesis 1, 1 through 25, and we looked at how God created the, the world and, and this beautiful rhythm um, uh, of how God, how God brought the world into existence. That, uh, and, and I highlighted in particular that before the world existed, before creation, there was God. Before uh, there was creation, there was love between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and out of that, they created the world. And then what we see at the end of uh, in, in, uh, verse 1 is that the world was dark, right? The, the, the darkness was over uh, the deep. And so God, God had a, um, a plan and a purpose to allow that darkness to exist as part of the created order so that when he did create life, when he brought light into the universe, it would have a transformative effect. And so uh, the highlight was really creation is all about God. I know we can get caught up with, well, what did the day mean? And what did the night mean? And what did this and how long did that last? You're asking, and this, I think it was helpful for many of us uh, last week that I differentiated this. You're asking a lot of how questions, and Genesis is primarily focused on the who and the why. And so that's where I would encourage you, if you weren't, if you didn't hear last week's message, you can find that on our sermon page, and I unpack uh, some of that for us. So today we're in day six, and we're going to be answering the question, what does it mean to be a human being? And this is not merely a philosophical question, because all of us are human beings, right? And, and at some point in your life, whether you've thought consciously about it or whether you just absorb the beliefs of people around you, you have a concept of what a human being is. Nobody in here is like, I don't know what a human is, right? You are one. You look in the mirror. You see yourself. You have ideas. You have thoughts. And when you see other people, especially those out on the playground right now who are very distracting to us all, uh, <laughs> you, you, you have concept. Oh, that's a person, right? We recognize human beings. but that's, uh, And while we, we have that, it does not necessarily mean that we have a biblical understanding or a true understanding of what it means to be a human you see, however you answer that question, whether you got it from implied uh, beliefs of those around you or you actually consciously sat down and thought about it, uh, you have a concept that's tied to a larger narrative. This larger narrative involves where we come from. Uh, what, is, what is the purpose of a human being? Uh, what is our, uh, what's wrong with human beings? Never met anyone that didn't think there was something wrong with us all. Uh, and, and then also, like, what's the hope? What's the answer for all of that? So we have, uh, the, the danger, I would argue, is everyone comes to some conclusions about that, whether uh, impli- uh, implicitly or explicitly, um, but we, that does not root it necessarily in Scripture. One of the reasons our culture is really struggling um, is, is because of, I think, a failure to understand what a human being is. One of the reasons we see what's called uh, expressive individualism in our culture in particular, is because people um, have, have uh, disconnected 
who they are as a human being from any larger story, any larger narrative. And when that happens, when you are set adrift on a sea and you have no compass and you have no moorings and you have no, nothing on the horizon to look at, to uh, adjust to, what do you do? You look within yourself. And so this is where our culture talks about um, living out our uh, ultimate purpose, our ultimate truth for ourselves. But we have a sense, I would argue, that when we are self-absorbed, when we are uh, dwelling on ourselves and making ourselves the center of life and the world around us, it's not only does it not go well, ultimately it doesn't lead to flourishing, does it? It doesn't lead to satisfaction. Your happiest moments in your life were not your most selfish moments. Can we all acknowledge that? And so uh, what, what Christianity does, and, the, and Genesis in particular does here for us today, is bring a story of who you are as a human being and, and the truth grounded in that and sets it alongside what our culture says humanity is about and what you should be looking for in meaning and purpose and even identity in your life. So we say, um, when we take a step back and look at it, I think we'd all recognize that we sometimes have a tendency to gravitate towards that self, self-centered view, don't we? And it's not just because the culture's doing it. Listen, our modern culture is not the first, one, first culture to be like, uh, let's, uh, let's put ourselves first, right? It's looked different ways in different times, but human beings are very selfish beings. If you don't know that about yourself, ask someone close to you. They'll let you know um, <laughs> that they are, that, or that you are. And so... Um, one of the things we want to see today is, is how maybe that has cross-pollinated into our understanding of who we are, and then how Christ actually helps us fulfill what it means to be a human. So I'm going to read along uh, Genesis 1, 26 through 31, uh, and ask you to just follow along in your Bible. When I'm done, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you will respond with me, thanks be to God. If you, uh, I see a lot of journal Bibles tonight. I, I, I've already talked to several of you that don't have them yet. Um, and so blame that on Tyler. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> we've been moving them back and forth. Uh, they were at the 133 this week for the new Tacoa CG and another CG. And so we're going to have them back. We'll be here next, next week. If you do want to stop by this week and pick it up, uh, we can arrange for that. So just, just let us know. Let's, let's uh, pick up verse 26. This is day six. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that creeps on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let's um, look at three questions. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? There's obviously more we could explore in this passage, um, and we're going to hit parts of it. But, I mean, you could 
do a series on this passage alone, but we're going to answer the question, what does it mean to be made in the image of God, which is the core of what it means to be a human being. We're going to answer, how does this impact us? How does that mean we live out life? And then why don't we live like this today? So let's walk through these. First, what is the image of God? When, he, when uh, verse 26, he says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. What's interesting, if you go back to ancient uh, Middle Eastern uh, stories, accounts of creation of mankind, uh, one account in particular, a dominant account, made uh, human beings were made by the gods to do the work that the gods didn't want to do. So basically, they were tired of their yard work, and they're like, gosh, you know what, we could really use some servants, so let's make some people, and then we can put them to work. Um, not very inspiring, but that's the concept that was uh, in, in that ancient culture. But in, in a biblical worldview, uh, God created the world out of nothing, and he ma- made mankind on the final day at the pinnacle of creation and made him in his image. And we are to do exactly what an image does. If I, if I hold up an image of, of someone famous, you kind of know that it's not them, but you would recognize by the way it looks that it, it is meant to be them, right? It's a, it's a representation. It's an image of something else. And in our case, we are to be image bearers of God. Now, this image we'll talk about, uh, explore it more in a moment, but I, I want us to understand something very important. This is inherent to what, who we are as human beings. I think it's actually on a genetic level. I think to exist as a human being at any point from conception to, uh, to the death is to exist as an image bearer of God in this world. It doesn't matter your education. It doesn't matter your abilities. It doesn't matter your, uh, whether you have physical or mental disabilities. None of those things matter. It is inherent. You don't earn it. You didn't achieve it. Uh, it isn't, it's not a contest. You inherently have been stamped by God. Why? Because we belong to God, right? We didn't make ourselves. God made us. And what we see is this in, in uh, the story of creation here. We'll, we're just going to get glimpses of it uh, right now. But uh, by the end of chapter uh, 2, we'll, we'll get to the rest of it. But what we see are progressive facets of creation. And before we dive into the individual image bearers, I want you to see what God, what image bearers were called to do, and then the facets of it are connecting points of it. So we see God made humans in the image of God, right? Then it says he made them male and female. What we find in chapter two is God gives the gift of marriage, and then the gift of sex, and then the cultural mandate is connected to it all. That is to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. These are progressive facets. It's, it's from, from the image to what it means to fully live that out in the culture and in the world. Now, the Hebrew word for image is um, used in the rest of the Bible in relation to idols. So you know the, the, the Ten Commandments, right? Do not make a graven image, right? You're not supposed to carve out an image of God. Why? God's already got an image in this world. It's you and me. It's people. And so this is the language of, um, of, a, of a representation. The Greek word is the, is the word icon, which is where our English word icon comes from. That's right. 
you thought I was going to trick you. Uh, no, it's literally, the, it, but we use the term all the time, don't we? Well, a pop icon, right? A pop icon, a sports icon. We use that language saying that that person is an is a icon, a representation of something much bigger, right? So uh, a sports icon represents their sport on a much bigger scale. A, uh, a pop icon represents pop culture in a larger scale. And so that's what you and I are. We are not God. <laughs> we are not even God-like. We are image bearers of God. We have been made in the likeness of God as finite creatures. Uh, if it makes sense, the infinite God has made finite images. And it says in verse 28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, as we, as we look at this uh, representation, this image, what does it inherently mean? Well, there's four R's that uh, are going to be on the screen here for you that hopefully help make some sense. We are, ref- we are to reflect God's character in the world. So God is holy. We are to reflect that holiness in who we are and the way that we live as his people. Um, we we uh, also represent God's rule in the world. Uh, theologians use the term vice regents. We are given responsibility to rule in a way, as, as it says here, to practice dominion over the universe, over this planet. Now, we are managers, not owners. You know the difference, right? We are managers, not owners. Managers don't own the business. They get to manage it. Um, but we are to manage the world, its animals, its plant life, and resources to represent the way God rules. Thirdly, we are to relate in community. And we talked about this last week, but God, uh, before creation of the world, God existed in love. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit were together, living in perfect harmony, in unity, in love with each other. God extends that by making us image bearers and inviting us into uh, a loving relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And, I would argue, in relationship with others. So we were meant in this world to live in relationship because we have a relational God. Fourthly, and finally, we are to recreate by cultivating beauty and potential in the universe. This is called the cultural mandate. This is God's the creator, right? We just read the creative account. God created the the whole world, and he put little image bearers uh, in this world who represent him. What are we going to do? We are going to create, right? We can't help but create. We can't stop ourselves from creating. It is, uh, this is what is called the cultural mandate. Uh, it, it's why we build buildings. It's why people do research. It's why people paint paintings. It's why people grow gardens. Uh, it is why Home Depot exists. It is why Michaels exists. It's why cameras exist. It's why uh, music exists. We're made as image bearers. Uh, after a creator God. And one of the crazy things about us is we, we might vehemently deny God with our lips and believe he does not exist at all, but we cannot stop creating. It's like it's hardwired into us, isn't it? Because it is. We were, one, one plan or one thought before... Uh, it's a, it's, it has some textual support, but it's, 
that's the Bible. I'm going to step over here. This is not the Bible. Uh, A little imagination about the Garden of Eden idea is that God actually wanted humanity. The Garden of Eden was a localized space that God wanted humanity to take the garden and extend it around the world. That we were to take what was beautiful, what God had planted as 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 a little garden, and through cultivation, through extension, we were to spread around the world. God wanted cultures. God wanted peoples, um, and this was written into us. It's inherent in us. Listen, the modern. It's interesting. This is this is purpose. I hope you get this. This is this is inherent purpose. Our modern self-esteem and and modern movements of of self. Um, will say, you're valuable, you're important, but there is no objective reason behind that. They'll say that, but they cannot produce, they cannot explain to you why that's actually true in an objective way. But scripture helps us, steps us back and helps us to see, no, there's a purpose to us as human beings. There's a dignity and a value to us as image bearers of God to every person, and every person has a purpose in this world. Bertrand Russell, philosopher, said, we are the product of causes that had no prevision of the end they were achieving. The hopes, fears, loves, and beliefs of our minds are just the outcome of the accidental collocation of atoms. Anybody want to get that on a greeting card? Get well soon. (laughs) I I mean, I don't know about you. I appreciate somebody who's intellectually honest in that way. If they're going to go, there is no meaning, then own it. Own it. At least be intellectually honest. I just think for me, I'm like, I'm haunted by something else. On my worst days, I'm still haunted by something else. I'm haunted by this idea that life has a purpose. I'm haunted by this idea that I have a meaning. And so underneath all of this, we have a purpose. And this is what it means to be an image bearer of God. Now, how does this impact us? Well, uh, verse 31 says it was very good. So up to this point, everything had been good. Now it's very good, which is God's like stamp, right? To say things are kind of operating well. This is what, uh, again, theologians refer to. There was a shalom in creation at this point. That there was a harmony and a wellness and a wholeness and a symmetry. Everything was operating the way it was. Human beings were doing what they were supposed to do. Animals were doing what they were supposed to do. Plants were doing what they were supposed to do. There were no mosquitoes. Um, and so at this point... <laughs> Maybe they were. They just didn't suck blood. I don't know what they ate, but they didn't suck blood. Uh, and so what we had was a created world of harmony at this point. And, and, and we ourselves had experienced this harmony in four dimensions, four relationships that we had because of this. The first one is the ultimate one, essential one, is a relationship with God. This is obviously most important, but... but God wasn't, God didn't like create us and say, you're my image bearers, go, good luck, you guys will be great, I'll check in on you from time to time, right? No, what we have a picture of is a God who's intimately involved with his creation. So we, as human beings, were, made, were put into this world to walk with God, to know God, to delight in God, to relate to God, and then out of that, every single moment of every single day, to live for him to glorify him the way that we created cultures and cities and music and art and all of that. 
That's a beautiful picture. Obviously not what we experience right now. We'll talk about that more but, uh, and explore it a lot in Genesis 3. But, but I want to make sure you get that. This is the, this is the all-encompassing uh, relationship, uh, relationship with God. Then out of that, we came to understand ourselves. We were to understand ourselves as image bearers of this creator God who at this point we could see in a sense. We could, we could know, we could relate to him in a way that you and I can't right now. We were in his presence. We could uh, live in relationship with him. And so we had a sense of who we were. I don't know if you know this, you talk to yourself a lot. Maybe sometimes out loud, right? I know I'm not the only one. But you talk to yourself all the time, those internal conversations. So you're relating to yourself all the time. You are. It's the question of, of, of out, what was the foundation for that? What was the orientation of that? That was fundamentally out of our relationship with God. We understood who we were. And so there was never the like, what am I supposed to be doing? Right? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? Anybody had that, that thought? Like, of course you have, because you're a human being, right? We all feel that. Imagine having never struggled with that. You didn't wonder if your life mattered. You didn't wonder if there was any meaning or purpose. You didn't wonder if, um, if, if what you were doing was going to make any difference in the world. This identity that we had in ourselves was based on who God made us to be, which is so different than, uh, than, a, than a self-determined identity, right? It's not we sat over in the corner and thought about ourselves and then decided this is who we were. We received our identity. And this would ultimately, I think, make it... it this is so much better than figuring out your own identity, and I'll tell you Why? Because it doesn't change. If your identity has been given to you by the God who created you in his own image, then you always have dignity and value. Doesn't matter how you feel. Doesn't matter how much you blew it at your job. Doesn't matter uh, how, you, how depressed or discouraged you are. You have a dignity and a value that's been given to you by the creator of the universe because you are his image. We're meant to live that out. Just like a good, like a child, a small child, think of a really good, healthy, vibrant home with an extended family or whatever, and a child's born into that family. Your hopes and dreams for that child is that child comes to understand what, who they are in the context of that family. They begin to flourish and grow and experience all the goodness of being in that family. That's God's intention for us. The third relationship is other people. So it says God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created him. So God began not by creating two individuals. He created two distinct types of people, male and female. And there's a a value and a dignity as equal image bearers there. We'll talk about this more in a couple of weeks, but one of the beautiful things about it is this text affirms that men and women are both made in the image of God, which means they have equal dignity and value, and yet there's a differentiation. There's not pure sameness, 
right? There's, there's a differentiation, and, and even science bears this out for us now in just the studies of the ways men and women's brains work and things. There's, there's a beauty there that, that out of that, men and women are to live together for the, good of, uh, for the good of each other, for the glory of God, right, as image bearers. And if we could picture this as a relationship, I think it's meant to be like brothers and sisters. We're meant to be brothers and sisters living out of a familiar relationship with our father, in the world together, caring for each other, supporting each other. And then fourthly is the relationship with the creation. We were meant to be stewards or managers of this crazy, wonderful world that we have, right? I mean, it's beautiful. It's, it's incredible. I, I, I'm still blown away that I think we've only like mapped like 6% of the ocean or something, the ocean floor so far. Um, we haven't even gotten to figure out this world we're on. And yet, we are to practice dominion over it. We have been, we're given responsibility for it. And unlike, so our culture, it's interesting, our culture would say, uh, don't pollute the world, right? It's bad. Don't pollute the world. But it's almost a utilitarian approach to it. Don't pollute the world because it'd be bad for the next generation. That's true. But we have a higher responsibility than that. Because God has put us in charge of this. We, we are managers, not owners. So we're not to exploit this world. We're to take care of this world and not use it for our own sense, our own glory. Let's say, uh, let's say Mayor Wu asks you to redesign the T system, make it more efficient and more equitable. Good luck with that. May the odds always be in your favor if that's, your, if that's what you're in charge of doing. Now, you might have to commute every day downtown on the Green Line, and you might be like, you know, if I knock out seven stops, <laughs> I could get downtown in four minutes, you know. Uh, that'd be great for you, but that's not your job. You did not build the tea. You're, you're responsible for making decisions about how it should be operated in a way that's equitable and honors the one who asked you to do it. That's how we are to look at this world around us, to take care of creation, not because we're somehow spiritually connected with the animals or the wind or whatever. That is a, a whole other worldview. We connect, we look at creation because we have been given a stewardship of it. We've been given a responsibility for it. So we should take care of it. Now, we're not doing a great job. But that's the third question here, and, and as we close, um, why don't we live like this, right? I mean, I just described hopefully some really inspiring, encouraging realities for all of us, but every person in this room is like, I don't live like that. I don't go to my job thinking, oh, how can I honor God as an image bearer of his with my jerk, na- jerk co-workers and my boss who keeps wanting me to work 80-hour weeks, you know, while he takes off vacation? Like, nobody thinks that way. We're not experiencing this, right? Why? Because the world is fractured and broken. In Genesis 3, we see our sinful rebellion against our creator broke this relationship, and because that relationship is broken, we don't see ourselves rightly, we don't see others rightly, and we don't look at the world rightly. There's a brokenness that exists. And if you take a step back and you're objective and you're as honest as you can be about yourself, you kind of know it. You lie to yourself all the time, don't you? Or you tell yourself things that you know aren't good for you. 
So, so our relationship with ourselves is broken. Our relationship with brothers, any, uh, with, with others. Anybody have any friction, relational friction in your life at all? How much of it's your fault? Sure. We, we say the wrong thing at the wrong time. We don't support the other person that needs it, right? We are selfish. And then we have not taken care of creation. There's a brokenness. Sin fractures the image of God. It's a tear in the fabric of our identity. It's still there. The fabric's still there. You're still made in the image of God. But there's a tear. And we no longer represent our, 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 our Father in heaven the way that we were created to. You can think of it just as a practical example. I don't know if you heard of... Um, Cristiano Ronaldo, the uh, Manchester United superstar. Any fans? I know we got some. That's soccer um, for Americans, football for the rest of the world, because that's how Americans roll. Um, <laughs> but I don't know if you know, uh, he, he had a um, bronze bust was commissioned uh, statue for him. Anybody know this story? Was, was commissioned for him. Now, he is a good-looking man. I'm just going to say that. He's a, <laughs> I see that hand. Um, <laughs> he's a good-looking man. Um, we're going to see that on the right here is what he looks like, and on the left is his <laughs> bronze <laughs> image. <laughs> I hate to say this, but we're the one on the left. <laughs> Right? We were created to be the one on the right, but we're the one on the left. We are broken. We no longer represent our creator. The way we're designed, we're distorted. It's there. The image is there, but it's distorted. Now, the good news. You can take that off screen. (laughs) Veronica's having fun with that. Um, The good news is that one did come who perfectly represented the Father, who was the image of God in human form, sinless and perfect. You could look at Jesus and go, that's what God is like. And he lived a sinless life and died on the cross in our place that we as image bearers can be restored. You see, what Jesus was doing on the cross was starting a new humanity. He was starting a new humanity that still lives in the old world, but now lives as image bearers of God, free in Christ, renewed in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has gone, the new has come. If you trust Christ, you are a new creature. And I would argue, yes, the world we live in, and it pulls on us, and it weighs on us, and we still deal with our flesh. But God is doing something in you. He's, re- he's, re- he's restoring you, and he is making you like his son. And so today, I would challenge you, if you're a Christian, I, I bet there's some things you need to repent of. You know you have not been living this out. You know that you have not represented God in your home, or you're in your workplace, or in your neighborhood as an image bearer of God. You've been selfish. You've wanted your own way. Maybe, maybe even today, you you would recognize you've been telling yourself things in your own heart that are just not true. And God wants to set you free from that. You belong to him. You are being made in his image. Turn away from that sin. Put on the new self today, as Ephesians tells us. If you're not a Christian... This is what you're invited into. It's not a self-improvement program. 
It is a God improvement program whereby he is reestablishing you as a new human being in this world. To live in relationship with him, to know him, to walk with him, and to have his purpose take over your entire life. That's an invitation today. I'll be in the back the rest of the service, um, or if you, you want to grab Mike after the service or one of the elders, we'd be glad to pray with you, talk with you. Um, let's go ahead and stand, and we're going to pray, and let's sing together. Father, thank you for your good purpose in making us. That today, no matter how we feel, we have dignity, value, and purpose from you. Nothing can change that. And we thank you, Jesus, that um, you came and lived that life that we could not live to, to die the death that we deserved, to give us eternal life as new image bearers being made in likeness after you. Help us today to press into that. Help us to cast off the weights and the sins that are keeping us from fully following you, Jesus. In your name we pray.